Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Good evening. By pressing play, you've unlocked a door with the key of imagination. Beyond is another dimension, a dimension of sound, a dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. Welcome to Agoraphobia. Hello, my pretties, and welcome to the Agora Podcast Network's spooktacular month of ghoulishly engaging content celebrating the spirit of the halloween season so turn on all the lights check all the closets and cupboards look under all the beds and continue if you dare in this second installment of agoraphobia we begin today by joining Dominic Perry of the Egyptian History Podcast as he transports us across time to the muddy banks of the River Nile near the dawn of civilization, when mystery and mortality permeated all in a time before the boundaries of this world and the afterlife were set, in order that we may hear a tale of historical hauntings and dead letters. Welcome to Ancient Egypt. Let me introduce you to our friend. His name is Henny. Henny is an average Egyptian man. He lives in a small town, and he has lived in this town his whole life. To the west of Henny's hometown is a necropolis, where generations of his ancestors and family members are buried. Henny doesn't leave his town much. Occasionally he might go to visit the estate of a friend, across, up or down the river, and sometimes he might go to visit a royal official on some kind of business. But for the most part, Henny lives in the town where his family has always lived, and he goes daily, or at least regularly, to visit the necropolis in order to pay respect to his ancestors. When we meet Henny, it is evening. He's heading home. The night time is coming down, and Henny is getting ready to go to bed. He lays down on his bed in his house. He goes to sleep. The night is quiet and still. In the dark, a goat bleats, an owl hoots. All is calm. But Henny is not calm. He is tossing and turning. 
he cannot rest properly, for behind his eyelids a vision is beginning to appear. He no longer sees the tangible world, for he is asleep. He sees a land that we rarely see today, a land that is just like ours. But not everyone in this land is... alive. Henny is confronted by a vision of the dead. He does not dream it, he sees it. It is Wa Ked Peter F, a dream which he has seen. The dream is true, the dream is tangible, it is real. It occurs somewhere, somewhere else, and Henny merely sees it. But what does Henny see in this dream? Henny sees a man, a man that he once knew, a man who is now dead. Henny does not want to see this man, but the ghost, if we may call him that, gives Henny no choice. Somehow the ghost of a man long dead has come forth from the city of the dead, the Wati Niut, the soul city, and the ghost now confronts Henny, coming as a vision, and Henny does not like it. Henny wants the ghost to let him go, but he will not. His eyes are accusing, and his face condemns. His soul is vengeful, for what Henny does not yet know. But as he gazes upon the spectre, guilt begins to prickle in his mind. Then panic sets in, and Henny desperately tries to get out. Finally, he lurches from one world back into the other. He awakes in his bed, sweating. His heart is thudding, and he is covered in a pulsing dread. Henny is concerned by this dream for many reasons. He does not like being forced to visit the soul city, the only city, the one in which the dead reside. He certainly does not like being kept there by this ghost, and made to see the spectre. He does not like being made to feel guilty, and he does not like being made to feel fearful. We know this because of how Henny decided to resolve the situation. Henny does what any conventional Egyptian male in a pickle might do. He writes a letter to his father, asking for help. But there's a problem here, for Henny's father is also dead. Well, that does not stop Henny. The ancient Egyptians regularly wrote letters to the deceased, asking them for help in day-to-day affairs. In the ancient world, particularly the world of ancient Egypt, the boundary between the two worlds, the world of the living and the world of the dead, was much thinner than it is today. To the ancients, crossing over from one world into another was far more straightforward, and it happened most regularly in dreams. But you could also communicate with the dead through more mundane means, and so Henny decided to write a letter to his father, asking for his help. This letter has survived down to this day, and so we know what Henny experienced. Henny begged his father to help him, to take this ghost away. You see, the ghost was actually known to Henny. He had known him in life. The ghost was named Seni, and he had been his father's servant. Presumably the bonds of master and servant persisted into the afterlife, so surely if anyone could help Henny, his father could. In the tradition of many classic ghost stories, Seni has come to Henny with a purpose. Like most haunting ghosts, he accuses Henny of misdeed, of causing his misfortune. The most famous example of this, perhaps from history or literature, is the tale of Banquo's ghost in Shakespeare's Macbeth. This is kind of like the ancient Egyptian version of it. In life, Seni supposedly suffered from beatings. Perhaps, poor man, this was the manner of his death. We do not quite know. You can almost picture it, though. Seni, eyes glazed, dark brown skin blotched with purple from bruises, blood from cuts, stands before Henny. Henny, in the dream, shrinks back. He swears he did not do it. 
In the living world, his body tosses and turns and mutters. He begins to sweat. Henny tried desperately to get out of the dream, but he could not, for he was transfixed by Senny's evil eye. The evil eye is an ancient and truly formidable concept. It had the power to stop people in their tracks, and even gods were susceptible to the evil eye of great demons. To the ancient Egyptians, the act of seeing the dead was both an omen in some cases, and in others, a direct communication from the afterlife that something was not right. In fact, the ancient Egyptians even had a special dream book to interpret some of these situations. Some of my favorites include If a man sees himself in a dream chewing lotus leaves, this is good. It means something which he will enjoy. Kind of vague, but you get the point. But then there were the bad ones. If a man sees himself in a dream looking into a deep well, this is bad, for it means he will be placed in prison. And if a man sees himself standing in a crowd of people far away, this is even worse, for it means that his death is coming near. The dream that Henny had experienced, or the visitation that Henny had experienced, did not quite fit within this dream book, so what was he to do? Henny was in a flux. He needed help. So he decided to write a letter to his deceased father, a letter to the dead. It is Henny's letter to the dead which survives today and gives us the sense of what he was going through. He addressed his letter to his father and said something along these lines. From the loyal son Henny to his father, it is helpful to pay attention to the one who provides for you on account of these things which your servant Seni is doing. I did not summon him for my advantage. He simply appears, and there is no end to his appearances. But it was not I who caused his suffering or his discomfiture. Others did that. Others acted upon that servant. Please, give me the protection of your power. Do not cause me to be injured by this servant. Please, bind him, take him away, so that I may never see him again. That was the extent of Henny's letter, and it's pretty straightforward. He's just asking for help. Unfortunately, we don't actually know how the episode ended, because this is the only letter that survives from Henny. We have no follow-up from him to say, thank you for getting rid of the ghost, or why haven't you gotten rid of the ghost? I've already asked you. If the letter worked and the ghost stopped visiting Henny, then all was well. If not, though, Henny did have other options. He could visit a temple to ask for the gods to intercede on his behalf, or he could simply buy some protection in the form of an amulet or a spell written on papyrus. This would be an expensive way to do it, but probably less expensive than going to the temple. And for many Egyptians, the use of amulets seems to have been a pretty daily practice to protect them from evil spirits and the evil eye. Let's assume for the moment that, after sending his letter to the dead, Henny decided to double down on his efforts and bought one of these amulets. The amulet that he bought probably said something along the lines of this. I shall make every dream that he has seen good. I shall make every dream that someone else has seen for him good. A pretty simple formula, but basically giving the wearer power over his own dreams and ensuring that anyone else who was magically connected to him through the power of dreams was also doing good by him. This would probably be effective against Senny, if, at the very least, in a psychological sense, Henny would go to bed wearing the amulet and feel that he was protected against the ghost, and so hopefully this would stop Senny from appearing. One way or another, Henny protected himself against any future visitations from the ghost, and the story ends somewhat neutrally. 
This is just one of the many instances of ancient Egyptians interacting with the dead, and not all of them were necessarily bad. In fact, we have two instances of divine or supernatural visitation actually being a tale of redemption. On an inscription left by a man and dedicated to a god, he recounted this story, a story of how he had done wrong, but as a result of the god's actions, he had been inspired to recant. He said, I am a man who had said, This is true, but I was lying to the lady of the house, Nefertiti. A manifestation of the god came about as a result. What this manifestation was, we do not know, but it must have terrified him. He continues, I say to the light, to the moon, to Ta, to Thoth, to Amun, please be merciful to me. The negative effect of this divine manifestation basically motivated the man to recant his perjury or lying and to plead for mercy from the divine. Another story, a story with which I'll leave you, tells it this way. I am a man who swore in a lying manner to Ptah, the Lord of Truth. He caused me to see darkness by day. I could not see. I tell of his manifestation now to him who ignores it and to him who recognizes it. Be careful in regard to Ptah, for you see, he does not set aside the fault of anybody. This is a wonderful little testimony, I think. These men who had done wrong by their friends and, more importantly, their superiors, were overcome with guilt. They experienced either a divine manifestation or a psychotic episode. The result of it was that they became so terrified and so concerned with their well-being that they recanted and told the truth. There's something very Old Testament about this kind of behavior, of course. Do good or else God will punish you. But I think the purpose of these stories was generally a positive one. They recorded them so that others could live by their example and recognize that doing such bad things was not something you got away from scot-free. Of course, in an atheistic worldview, you might suppose that these men were simply overcome with guilt, and that may not be such a bad thing. Ultimately, encounters with the dead in ancient Egypt ran the gamut of emotions. They could be terrifying, as Henny experienced with the servant Seni, or they could be somewhat neutral, as the priest experienced with that ghost. Finally, they could be ultimately beneficial, as those two men experienced the power of God, they turned their minds around and became helpful members of their society. And next, with the help of the History of China's Chris Stewart, I, Tom Daly, humbly submit a dramatic reading of that morbid American master, Edgar Allan Poe's classic tale of revenge and murder, The Cask of Amontillado. The Thousand Injuries of Fortunato I had borne as best I could. But when he ventured upon insult, I vowed revenge. You, who so well know the nature of my soul, will not suppose, however, that I gave utterance to a threat. At length, I would be avenged. This was a point definitely settled. But the very definitiveness with which it was resolved precluded the idea of risk. I must not only punish, 
but punish with impunity. A wrong is unredressed when retribution overtakes its redresser. It is equally unredressed when the avenger fails to make himself felt as such to him who has done the wrong. It must be understood that neither by word nor deed have I given Fortunato cause to doubt my good will. I continued, as was my wont, to smile in his face, and he did not perceive that my smile, now, was at the thought of his immolation. He had a weak point, this Fortunato, although in other regards he was a man to be respected and even feared. He prided himself on his connoisseurship in wine. Few Italians have the true virtuoso spirit. For the most part, their enthusiasm is adopted to suit the time and opportunity to practice imposture upon the British and Austrian millionaires. In painting and gemmary, Fortunato, like his countrymen, was a quack, but in the matter of old wines he was sincere. In this respect, I did not differ from him materially. I was skilled in the Italian vintages myself, and bought largely whenever I could. It was about dusk one evening, during the supreme madness of the carnival season, that I encountered my friend. He accosted me with excessive warmth, for he had been drinking much. The man wore motley. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. He had on a tight-fitting party-striped dress, and his head was surmounted by the conical cap and bells. I was so pleased to see him that I thought I should never have done wringing his hand. I said to him, My dear Fortunato, you are luckily met. How remarkably well you're looking today. But I have received a pipe of what passes for Amontillado, and I have my doubts. How? Amontillado? A pipe? Impossible! And in the middle of Carnival! I have my doubts, and I was silly enough to pay the full Amontillado price without consulting you in the matter. You were not to be found, 
and I was fearful of losing a bargain. Amontillado? I have my doubts. Amontillado? And I must satisfy them. Amontillado? As you are engaged, I am on my way to Lucchesi. If anyone has a critical turn, it is he. He will tell me. <laughs> Lucchesi cannot tell Amontillado from Sherry. And yet some fools will have it that his taste is a match for your own. Come, let us go. Whither? To your vaults. My friend, no. I will not impose upon your good nature. I perceive you have an engagement. Lucchesi. I have no engagements. Come. My friend, no. It is not the engagement, but the severe cold which I perceive you are afflicted. The vaults are insufferably damp. They are encrusted with nitre. <clears throat> Let us go. Nevertheless, the cold is merely nothing. Amontillado, you have been imposed upon. And as for Lucchesi, he cannot distinguish Sherry from Amontillado. Thus speaking, Fortunato possessed himself of my arm, putting on a mask of black silk and drawing a roquillary closely about my person. I suffered him to hurry me to my palazzo. There were no attendants at home. They had absconded to make merry in honor of the time. I had told them that I should not return until the morning and gave them explicit orders not to stir from the house. These orders were sufficient, I well knew, to ensure their immediate disappearance, one and all, as soon as my back was turned. I took from their sconces two flambeaux, and giving one to Fortunato, bowed him through several suites of rooms to the archway that led into the vault. I passed down a long and winding staircase, requesting him to be cautious as he followed. We came at length to the foot of the descent, and stood together on the damp ground of the catacombs of the Montresors. The gait of my friend was unsteady, and the bells upon his cap jingled as he strode. The pipe! It is farther on, but observe the white webwork which gleams from these cavern walls. He turned towards me and looked into my eyes with two filmy orbs that distilled the room of intoxication. Hmm. Niter? Niter, how long have you had the cough? My poor friend found it impossible to reply for many minutes. It is nothing. Come, we will go back. Your health is precious. You are rich, respected, admired, beloved. You are happy as once I was. You are a man to be missed. For me, it is no matter. We will go back. You will be ill, and I cannot be responsible. Besides, there is Lucchesi. Enough! The cough is a mere nothing. It will not kill me. <coughs> I shall not die of cough. True, true. And indeed, I had no intention of alarming you unnecessarily. But you should use all proper caution. A drought of this medoc will defend us from the damps. 
Here I knocked off the neck of a bottle which I drew from a long row of its fellows that lay upon the mold. Drink, I said, presenting him the wine. He raised it to his lips with a leer. He paused and nodded to me familiarly while his bells jingled. I drink to the buried that repose around us. And I to your long life. He again took my arm, and we proceeded. These vaults are extensive. The Montressors were a great and numerous family. I forgot your arms. A huge human foot, Deor, in a field, Azure. The foot crushes a serpent rampant, whose fangs are embedded in the heel. And the motto? No one provokes me with impunity. <laughs> Good. The wine sparkled in his eyes and the bells jingled. My own fancy grew warm with the medoc. We passed through the walls of piled bones with casks and puncheons intermingling into the inmost recesses of the catacombs. I paused again, and this time I made bold to seize Fortunato by the arm above the elbow. The niter. See, it increases. It hangs like moss upon the vaults. We are below the river's bed. The drops of moisture trickle among the bones. Come, we will go back, ere it's too late. Your cough. It is nothing. Let us go on. But first, another draught of the medoc. I broke and reached him a flagon of de grave. He emptied it in a breath. His eyes flashed with a fierce light. He laughed and threw the bottle upwards with a gesticulation I did not understand. I looked at him with surprise. He repeated the movement, a grotesque one. You do not comprehend? Not I. Well, then you are not of the Brotherhood. How? You are not of the Masons. Yes, yes. Oh, yes, yes. You? Impossible! A mason? A mason? A sign! A, a sign! It is this, I answered, producing a trowel from beneath the folds of my roquillary. You jest. But let us proceed to the Amontillado. Be it so, I said, replacing the tool beneath the cloak and again offering him my arm. He leaned upon it heavily. We continued our route in search of the Amontillado. We passed through a range of low arches, descended, passed on, and descended again, arrived at a deep crypt in which the foulness of the air caused our flambeau rather to glow than flame. At the most remote end of the crypt there appeared another, less spacious. Its walls had been lined with human remains, piled to the vault overhead, in the fashion of the great catacombs of Paris. Three sides of this interior crypt were still ornamented in this manner. From the fourth side the bones had been thrown down, and lay promiscuously upon the earth, forming at one point a mound of some size. Within the wall, thus exposed by the displacing of the bones, we perceived a still interior recess, in depth about four feet, in width three, in height six or seven. 
It seemed to have been constructed for no especial use within itself, but formed merely the interval between two of the colossal supports of the roof of the catacombs, and was backed by one of their circumscribing walls of solid granite. It was in vain that Fortunato, uplifting his dull torch, endeavored to pry into the depth of the recess. Its termination, the feeble light, did not enable us to see. Proceed. Herein is the Amontillado. As for Lucchesi... He is an ignoramus, interrupted my friend as he stepped unsteadily forward, while I followed immediately at his heels. In an instant, Head reached the extremity of the niche, and finding his progress arrested by the rock, stood stupidly bewildered. A moment more, and I had fettered him to the granite. In its surface were two iron staples, distant from each other about two feet horizontally. From one of these depended a short chain, from the other a padlock. Throwing the links about his waist, it was but the work of a few seconds to secure it. He was too much astonished to resist. Withdrawing the key, I stepped back from the recess. Pass your hand over the wall. You cannot help but feel the nitre. Indeed, it is very damp. Once more, let me implore you to return. No? Then I must positively leave you. But... I must first render you all the little attentions in my power. The Amontillado! True. The Amontillado. As I said these words, I busied myself among the pile of bones of which I have before spoken. Throwing them aside, I soon uncovered a quantity of building stone and mortar. With these materials, and with the aid of my travel, I began vigorously to wall up the entrance of the niche. I had scarcely laid the first tier of the masonry when I discovered that the intoxication of Fortunato had in great measure worn off. The earliest indication I had of this was a low moaning cry from the depth of the recess. It was not the cry of a drunken man. There was then a long and obstinate silence. I laid the second tier, and the third, and the fourth, and then I heard the furious vibrations of the chain. The noise lasted several minutes, during which, that I might hearken to it with the more satisfaction, I ceased my labors and sat down upon the bones. When at last the clanking subsided, I resumed the travel, and finished without interruption the fifth, the sixth, and the seventh tier. The wall was now nearly upon the level of my breast. I again paused, and holding the flambeau over the mason work, threw a few feeble rays upon the figure within. A succession of loud and shrill screams bursting suddenly from the throat of the chained form seemed to thrust me back violently. For a brief moment, I hesitated. I trembled. Unsheathing my rapier, I began to grope with it about the recess. But the thought of an instant reassured me. I placed my hand upon the solid fabric of the catacombs and felt satisfied. I approached the wall 
I replied to the yells of him who clamored. I re-echoed, I aided, I surpassed them in volume and in strength. I did this, and the clamorer grew still. It was now midnight, and my task was drawing to a close. I had completed the eighth, the ninth, and tenth tier. I had finished the portion of the last and the eleventh. There remained but a single stone to be fitted and plastered in. I struggled with its weight. I placed it partially in its destined position. But now there came from out the niche a low laugh that erected the hairs upon my head. It was succeeded by a sad voice, which I had difficulty in recognizing as the one of the noble Fortunato. The voice said, <laughs> A very good joke. A very good joke indeed. An excellent jest. We should have many a rich laugh about it at the plaza. <laughs> Over our wine. <laughs> the Amontillado? <laughs> yes. The, the Amontillado. But, but is it not getting late? Will they not be awaiting us at the plaza? The Lady Fortunato... And the rest, let us be gone. Yes, let us be gone. For the love of God, Montresor! Yes, for the love of God. But to these words I hearkened in vain for a reply. I grew impatient. I called aloud, Fortunato. No answer. I called again. Fortunato? No answer still. I thrust a torch through the remaining aperture and let it fall within. There came forth in reply only a jingle of bells. My heart grew sick on account of the dampness of the catacombs. I hastened to make an end of my labor. I forced the last stone into its position. I plastered it up against the new masonry I re-erected the old ramparts of bones, and for half a century, no mortal has disturbed them. Rest in peace. A warm welcome back to those of you who made it back, and a little bit of advice to take with you before you go. Not all knowledge is safe, and some things you can't unhear. The smartest of you will count your blessings and stay clear of dark corners and dangerous downloads. But those of you more daring who laugh in the face of fear will undoubtedly be back like a moth drawn to the flame for the next installment of Agoraphobia. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.